You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I am your host, Bill Powers. So where are the general equities headed? What's the Fed going to do? How will all this affect commodities and what's going on in China with Evergrande and is uh, commodity demand out of China decreasing? Here to talk about these topics and more is Bloomberg commodity strategist, Mike McGlone. Mike, welcome back onto the program. Uh, let's start with the Fed minutes. They're going to start tapering. How do you see that affecting the general equities as well as the commodity markets? Um, well, I love the narrative because, um, yes, they got to say they're going to start tapering. But the dream of tightening, I look at it as a commodity guide. If they can just tighten tomorrow, that means a bottom in gold. That's because simply, statistically, that's what happened last time. The first time they tightened was December 2015, gold bottom within a week at 1000 and here we are at $1,700 an ounce. So to me, the market's going to be looking forward to the end game. Tapering, yes, it makes a lot of sense, but I love what happened with the long bond. When they talk about tapering, I, I just cannot lose sight of that long bond. It's stuck at 2%. It's been stuck at 2% for a while. Before they mentioned tapering, it was around 1.93. It jumped up to 205, and here we are back below 2%. The long bond cannot stay above 2%. Why? Because it senses predominant deflationary trends, and that's the way I look at it. Organically, deflation is predominant in the big picture. What we're seeing right now is a blip in the trend, and then you get back to these more deflationary trends, and you can see that clearly in commodities. Yes, the Bloomberg Commodity Index is bounced to an all-time high, but it's right now same, the same price as 2011. For people who don't believe that, that's the given. Just imagine if we were to say the stock market was the same price as 2011. So to me, that's what's happening. The Fed will be tapering, but the dream of tightening will, will be kiboshed. The minute the stock market wobbles, just say correct 10%, and we'll go follow what Europe's doing, and then Europe and follow Japan, and that's going to negative rates. And I fully expect that's where long bonds can be going. And how do you see that affecting if the general equities roll over? What happens to commodities? 20% decline or... Oh, sure. Well, um, right now, both markets are at record highs. And if you measure them relative to like 60 months, the moving averages, the stock market's the highest in 20 years. The Bloomberg Commodity Index is the highest since the peak 2011. Just a little spark of mean reversion means commodities correct. And this is where I like to bring out sometimes when you get a little mean reversion, it can look like a crash. That's what the stock market the crash of 1987 was. The S&P 500 ended up that year up 2%. Most people don't remember that way. It just got too high. Clearly right now, the cure for commodity prices is higher prices, and they're high. So I think crude oil might have peaked around $785 a barrel. You look at the forward curve, it never, it could not get above 70. And it's right now still double the cost of U.S. production out in shale, which is around $37 a barrel based on our data. Then I look at copper. It looks like it peaked around $10,000 a ton. Why? China put a kibosh on it. When China cut their triple R rate, it was in July. And what have we seen since then? Evergrande property issues and what we've seen before then. Complete pushback in free market capitalism. Soybeans have peaked. Corn has peaked. Lumber has peaked. Yet the market's really plain and it's classic what the market does. It, it hits these t the tape where you expect crude oil to go to 100, 120. To me, I see classic signs of the top. As a commodity guy, you never want to sell when it's expensive. And we had the best chance in history to buy over a year ago. And we basically had a great decade this year. The market tested the lower end of the decade's range. It's up at the upper end of the decade's range. I fully expect mean reversion next year, which will probably favor gold. 
So it seems to me that you disagree with Chairman Powell because he said this week that we'll see inflation well into next year. Inflation is elevated, largely reflecting factors that are expected to be transitory. Supply and demand imbalances related to the pandemic and the reopening of the economy have contributed sizable to sizable price increases in some sectors. So he's seeing inflation into next year. You disagree with him on that? Oh, no, we're very much on the same page, but he's looking at measures that measure the past, and he has to focus more on things like labor and the big picture. And I, I read, I read, I saw that whole co- conference, I saw his response, and I look at this guy, Chairman Powell, as a profile in courage. Here's a person who stood up to President Trump and stood his ground and said, no, I will not resign because the president told me, because I'm right, and he's still there, and I just heard today that Biden might re- reappoint him. I was like, yes, he is such a bastion of to me stability in the space. And the way he answers questions, I don't know if I was there, I'm like, no, that's a stupid question, but he doesn't. And what I think he's doing is he's more focused on labor. If you look at commodities, I'm sure he's read books like uh, The Price of Tomorrow from Jeff Booth to price out the massive deflationary trends. If you look at crude oil on the world's most significant commodity, commodity around $80 a barrel, it's the same price as 2007. I mean, come on, he knows that's deflationary. It's, it's way underperformed CPI. Virtually no commodities have really kept up with CPI except for gold. And that includes if you, have to, if you have to invest it, you have to play the contango. So I'm completely in touch with Mr. Powell. I fully think he needs to um, taper. He said that. Cutting is a different story, and, but he has to prep the market. And this is something that we've learned and I've learned being on primary dealers and working for them for almost 40 years and from Mr. Ben Bernanke's book, um, The Courage to Act, is the minute we see a wobble in the stock market, all bets are off from the Fed potentially tapering and tightening. It's a completely direct relationship, and you just know what's going to happen. That's why I look at the market as crude oil is going to be one of the best indicators for next year. I expect mean reversion, which means the Fed won't have to do anything. Just look at crude oil measured from a year from now. It's from $80 a barrel. That was, like I said, that's the upper end of the range and still the price. So that's going to be deflationary. We've already had it in lumber, in corn, in copper, in aluminum, um, and in soybeans. So we're having it. So we need something. And and, and so to me, that's what Chairman's looking back from the future, and he's going to see deflationary trends. And this bounce of this year is going to be um, alleviated. The bounce, I mean, this has been a very historical period, 2021. COVID and the government locking down and just throwing money at people, but it all goes away. And so to me, that's what's going to happen. And I, again, I say that's why I think there is a complete direct correlation and high risk for anybody who's looking at commodities. And if you're bullish, then you got to be bullish in the stock market. And the stock market has to keep going up because the minute it wobbles, expect double the velocity decline in, in uh, commodities. I'll end on this. That's just what happened the last two times the stock market dropped at least 20%. So do you foresee that we could have this deflationary environment in commodities coinciding with labor shortages, supply chain issues? As an anecdotal example, yesterday I had a window guy out to the house and he walked in and I said, hey, if I sign with you today, when could you install? He said, August of 2022. I said, hey, I don't want to waste your time. Yeah. Have your way. Yeah. I've been in the industry. I called up my former supplier when I used to work in the industry. He said, I can get windows for you in 12 weeks, whereas he used to be able to get windows for me in three weeks. So there's a lot of issues out there. And the window supplier told me he couldn't even get glass or all the vinyl he needed or employees to put the windows together. So how do you see deflation working with this labor issue and supply crunch, uh, the supply chain disruption? Short-term blip, it's going to accelerate, accelerate the predominant trends in place for decades before COVID hit. So why are we having these problems? The government 
paid people not to work. Okay, which, remember that. This is what happened in this country. And there hasn't been there's issues with immigration. And we paid people not to work, and now they're worried about them going back to work. So that'll change. Wages will, wages will rise, and they are rising. And it's going to accelerate the process of people and machines replacing artificial intelligence, replacing machines. I just look at it as I used to be in the trading pits. Poof, they're gone. Drive through the Whitestone Bridge, <laughs> poof, it's gone, replaced by technology. It's happening more quickly, but yes, those are key points. But the thing is, we have to note, Bill, is when these things are predominant and hit the tape, it's usually the sign of the peak. Put ourselves a year from now. What should All these processes should be alleviated because the higher prices should cure this. So my point is, markets have already looked ahead to this. The bond market has already looked ahead to this. Bond yields at 1.95 is not consistent with higher commodities. Something's got to give next year, and the forward curves prove that. Like I said, in crude oil, it's been below 70. It hasn't been able to get above that. To me, that's indicative of a market that says, okay, we know these bottlenecks will be alleviated. And yes, good point about the um, you know things like that and windows and getting um, – it's known everywhere. But – what nothing better than sending to some good money for people, and I think that's going to happen. But again, I'm not a, I'm not a professional. I'm a professional commodities. I see rapid, I see elasticity of supply overwhelming in most commodities, and that's nothing new and profound. And you don't need a lot of people to produce commodities anymore. It's, just, it's all machines. I, in my house, uh, my wife pays the bill, so I already told her. I said, with the nat gas for this Michigan winter, it's going to be a lot higher, honey. What do you see with natural gas? I'm glad we went there. Key point: natural gas at 566 per MMBTU is the same price as two, 1998, I think. Uh, it peaked at 2000. It's one third the price of the peak from 2005. We got to remember that nat gas has been the absolute worst commodity to invest in. It's the absolute worst performance. It finally bounced from levels I unfortunately expected. That was too early a couple of years ago. Finally, we got that bounce. Probably peaked around six. And what's the going, this going to do for U.S. shale and production in, in, uh, in, in, uh, in Pennsylvania? Bring on the supply. And the market right now is priced for a cold winter. It needs a cold winter. We haven't had one since 2014. And we all know what's happened in global warming. So I look at natural gas as one of the most deflationary commodities in the history of mankind. When I was at S&P, there's only one commodity index. I had a rebalance. It was the natural gas index because it went to zero. <laughs> and that was uh, at least 10, 10 years ago. Um, so, uh, yes, the key thing I'd look at as a barometer, if natural gas can sustain above six, that'll matter. But it needs to do that. It looks like it's already peaked. It's those forces of never forget what's really happened this last decade. The U.S. is crushing it with technology. We brought in so much nat- natural gas with shale that even with – imagine if we cut off our LNG exports. That's what's kept the price higher, pressed it, pressed it through the whole world. This is just going to – finally, it's got some price incentives. And so, yes, it's going to cost you a little bit more heating, but compared to 10 years ago when natural gas was up at, uh, what, 15, or I think at the highest 13 um, MMBTUs, and here we are below six. So that's the key thing to remember. And then they're all related. Um, it's all related to crude oil, and the big picture, we're losing, using much less crude oil, much less liquid fuels. And just, I'll, I'll leave with this, just imagine the implications of um, Hertz ordering 100,000 Teslas in the next four or five years. The average cost of a U.S. internal combustion engine will be greater than an EV. 
Gold Terra Resource Corp. is a gold exploration company that has assembled a highly prospective district-scale land position on the doorstep of the city of Yellowknife in Canada's Northwest Territories. Gold Terra is currently focused on expanding and delineating gold resources at the company's Yellowknife City Gold Project with the goal of discovering over 5 million ounces. With ready access to infrastructure and multiple high-grade gold discoveries, Gold Terra is on track to re-establishing Yellowknife as one of the premier gold mining districts in Canada. Gold Terra trades as YGT in Toronto and YGTFF on the OTC. For more information, go to goldterracorp.com. That's goldterracorp.com. Going back for a second to the, the supply chain issues with the vaccine mandate and whatever one's view on this is or not, it's going to disrupt supply even more with people quitting or being forced to quit. What's your, how do you see that affecting the supply chain as it relates to co commodities? Because right now we're being told, I think it's end of December, early January, that employers will have to comply or potential another 20% of the workforce will quit or get fired. Well, sorry, you, you, they made the decision. Um, they're, mi they're a minority, but they protest more. And um, I, I look at it as um, we're probably at the peak supply bottleneck issue. Prices will overcome. People will be replaced. Um, and at some point, if you, you need to support your family, <laughs> if you're going to play the Vax game, good luck. Um, I mean, there's a lot more risks in life. I'm more worried about hit, getting hit by a bus. But, you know, that's, those are extremes I think you're seeing out there, but they hit the tape and they, help, they play well in the press. And again, one thing, remember, I work in a media business, but one thing I love I do about Bloomberg Intelligence is I write for the terminal. I love to get, it trickles up to things that we do like this, but it's about getting it right. And a lot of the stuff you'll see in the, in the mass media is for getting re readership and it's sensational. And I'm not worried about, I have to look at the, the broader big picture trends for commodities is look what happened with lumber this year it was up 120 percent now it's down 20 uh, or down 10 soybeans were up 30 percent now they're down six corn was up over 50 percent now it's up about 10 uh, you know copper we peaked around ten thousand dollars an ounce what you're hearing is the lag in this in the bottlenecks what you're seeing in forward curves with crude oil below 70 actually running at 69 or so in that you know these contract for 2022 is what markets expect i have no reason to support dispute forward curves and commodities at these point, which are all backward, which means the Ford prices are much lower than the currents. Mike, I've been following some discussions online where people are debating where copper could reach in this up cycle. So you've said we maybe we peaked out. Uh, the discussion was around, are we going to see $10 copper in this cycle? What are your thoughts? Well, I like to go, I, I find it easier to go to the London um, price and tons because of 10, that $10,000 a level. level. It was key level. Um, I know the U.S. is more widely traded, but it's just when you get to a, a significant level like that. And here's the key thing about copper. China is in decline. Now, we pointed this out years ago. If you look at incremental GDP growth, it's been declining for about 10 years. Watch the triple R rate. It's declined. Every time they cut the triple R rate, it's, it's um, not good for commodities. Copper, they've been one of the demand sources of copper the last 10 years. They are in, their economy is almost collapsing in a way. And so you can't be bullish copper then. And they put the kibosh on the price. So what I love is this is when you get the high and a high predictions that usually predict peaks. For instance, the time to buy copper and crude oil was a year ago. Clearly, time to buy, time to do it. Now, when people are looking for $100 crude oil and copper in terms of per pound around 10 or and per ton around 15,000, um, 15, those are usually good indications of peaks. And then I just look at the cure for higher prices is 
higher prices, and they're high. Key thing for commodities is China is in secular decline. What they're doing with free market capitalism, pushing out cryptos, banning cryptos, and um, with their whole property issues has been predictable. Ignore what they say, watch what they do, and I don't think it's going to get much better. The ag sector, uh, specifically farmland, what are you observing in terms of trend in U.S. farmland? Bid. That's <laughs> a good thing. I mean, that's one of my good connections. I, I feel naked. I don't own farmland anymore, but um, I sold my farm in 2014, but I have family family and friends are involved and it's just bid proper. It's mostly getting institutional, but I love that concept. Farmland, I should continue to advance, but is the farmland advancing or is the price of the, um, the asset or the paper that's being purchased in the dollar declining? So I like to look at the average price of, of one acre of Iowa farmland since 1974 has been about four ounces per gold. Now that's jumped up a little bit because gold is becoming less valuable because it's being replaced by digital gold, Bitcoin. And that's the key thing to remember about. I look at the key thing that happens in farmland, let's first talk about prices, is get or done. And we've had the best incentive in almost a decade to bring on more supply. That happened at corn and soybeans, the key crops. Yes, we're having bid in wheat, but U.S. production of wheat as far as um, acres have been dropping for, dropped to 100-year low just recently. It's been dropping for like 20 years. Higher prices will bring on that supply. And I'll give you one example. Was, I think it was about 10 years ago, we put our farm in the conservation reserve program and our, you know, the cash rented it. And our farmer asked if we take it out because, yes, prices are good. I can sell forward, make money, and pay you more than CRP. I'm like, okay, fine. It's that simple. Prices, <laughs> markets respond to prices, bring on supply. Unless we get a drought, I fully expect corn more likely to go to four. On the screens right now, it's about 550. Then to sustain, um, last year got just around seven. Then to sustain those highs. So I think grains have peaked. I think farmland will continue advancing price, but it's also taking that piece of paper, which would be unlimited supply up, and putting it into a physical asset that produces income. Iron, iron or uh, miners have done really well in the last year. What do you see happening in this market? It's obviously linked to the economy. Yeah, good luck. They did last year. Now iron ore on the screen is down 43% of the, on the year. That's linked to China. And I don't watch iron ore that closely, partly because it's not in liquid futures. It's not in any of the major commodity indexes like the Bloomberg Commodity Index. But it has been a, it's somewhat of a leading indicator. And down 42% on the year means the best of the for the ore producers is over. But it's key thing that you mentioned, Bill, that's so profound. What's the most notable headlines we've seen lately in almost all markets is the massive profits that energy is making and, and the re- and, and how bad it is they're, they're rebuying stock. But the fact they're making profits means more supply. It's that simple. And then those are the majors. And I, I'm, I want to revert to crude oil because iron ore is insignificant in terms of um, the macro and commodities. It's not in the major indices, but crude oil is. And that, it's just those profits that mean supply. And you mentioned supply which, um, and profits, which means more supply. And it's just, to me, I look at it, this rapidly advancing technology, it's, it's easier to bring on supply more than ever. And we're in a blip. And I think a year from now, when we're talking November, we're going to look back at this as, yeah, that was the peak. Now what? We're going to be stuck back to where we were before COVID altered, thing, altered things for this two-year period. What do you see happening in the PGEs, the platinum group elements? I'm con- I've been concerned for a while because I've kind of given up a little bit. I've viewed uh, palladium a little bit too expensive, most notably there's platinum. I mean, the whole world's going hydrogen and fuel cells, and platinum's the better one for that, and it's half the price. But I've been wrong. 
I fully, I've been, I haven't been bearish palladium, but I fully expect platinum would catch up and it hasn't. And I'll, I'll, so I still somewhat bullish, but I think from the far as precious metals, they're going to follow gold. Gold's going to go higher. That whole space is good, but I have to admit, Bill, I'm very concerned about silver. This year was the year for silver to follow copper. I mean, it really should have. It's much more industrial. It's more industrial than is precious now, but it's just been such a, a disappointment. It's, um, I fully expect they'll catch up a little bit when gold recovers next year. But the whole precious metal space, I'm positive. But I also look over, if you're involved in precious metals and you don't have some Bitcoin in that space, then you're naked. Because from an investment standpoint, notably gold, PGMs, are all, they're all correlated to gold. But I have to revert back to gold. Um, it is being replaced by the digital version. And I look at from an investor standpoint, if you want to ride the bull, good, solid bull market, it's happening in Bitcoin. That's where I see this, the commodity super cycle in Bitcoin. And I look at um, platinum. Why is it still half the price of palladium? I've kind of given up and I'm kind of afraid. But the minute I give up means it should just bounce and they should equal. But at some point, I do expect them to meet the same price. But I've been saying that for five years, unfortunately. New all-time highs for gold next year? Is that your expectation then? If yeah, I, I expect it's going to sustain a $22,000 handle. A key catalyst? So I expect it's going to sustain above $2,000 handle. The key thing pushing it, back is Bitcoin. I mean, it's clearly outflows of, of ETFs and gold and investors and clearly inflows in Bitcoin. But um, I see it bullish. I see it breaking out. And then you, I'm going to be publishing on this Monday. It's getting to in a very narrow range. And of course, the fundamentals are just so positive. Gold is just the, you know, it's, um, it, it's being measured in pieces of paper where there's unlimited supply. Just the dollar is the best one on the planet. So uh, it's had a backup this year. But I think a key catalyst on with this will be a peak in crude oil. It, it helps alleviate this issue with tapering, with issue with the Fed potentially tightening. It pushes the long bond yields lower. Gold pops up. And it simply does one, one little thing. It resumes the trend. Gold's in an enduring bull market, and it's had a pretty good correction, and it's probably reaching the maximum point of disdain. Crude oil is an enduring a bear market, and it's out the upper end of the range. I think crude oil rotates back down. The whole space goes back to that deflationary trend. Bond yields collapse or continue to decline, and gold just resume, it resumes its bull market. Nothing profound there. Bitcoin. So we just had like a double top uh, recently. You see it going higher. Uh, what? Just just higher. That that's the forecast. Well, I like to, and this year I became very simplistic on it because the bottom line for IC in the broad market, most notably now, is elasticity supply is a bullish factor for Bitcoin and Ethereum. Supply is declining by code. You can't mess with the code. As a commodity guy who dug, dug into that, and I'm like, check mark. There's nothing more I need to know about supply. It's going down. There's nothing you can do about that. All that matters is the demand and adoption. Check mark. They're going up. Prices must go up. That's the big difference with Bitcoin, cryptos, and commodities. And I'll, I'll make up the key point is elasticity supply in commodities is potentially the highest ever because of rapidly advancing um, 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 technology. Yes, there's issues with, with um, with people working. But the key thing that I have to point out, Bill, I was really shocked it's happened this year. Right now, cryptos and Bitcoin advancing and being adopted in the U.S. is now politically correct because it pushes gas back against China. China has banned it. They have been very, um, there's been a lot of animosity with China and the U.S. And, all, and what's happened at the same time that China's banned it the same year? Rapid adoption and acceptance of futures and ETFs in Canada and Europe. 
and um, the U.S. that track Bitcoin and crypto. So to me, that's going to accelerate. And the key thing I'll leave you with is that's so bearish for commodities and bullish for cryptos is crypto dollars. The most widely traded assets in cryptos are crypto dollars, i.e. stable tokens. Tether is just one. There's a dozen, dozen Tether wannabes. They all trade on Ethereum blockchain, and it's just a better way to do business. It's like, do you want to go back to riding the, the buggy to work, or you want to drive a car or an airplane? That's what crypto dollars are doing. Crypto assets and Tether has allowed that to happen. So it's got everything for the U.S. to just embrace it, accept it. U.S. dollar dominance, jobs, votes, revenue. And the U.S. has just have to figure it out, and that's what we're doing. And I have to give credit to Mr. Gensler. As much as he plays that pushback role, he did approve the first ETF. And I think what's going to happen is the SEC is going to get to an ETF that tracks a broad index of cryptos physically, because that's what protects investors, not approving one or two. If they're truly going to protect investors, and to me, that's where we're going. So here's a big difference. Low elasticity supply, adoptions picking up in Bitcoin and Ethereum, high elasticity supply in crude oil and adoptions declining. And I, I'll end on this. Total consumption of liquid fuels in the U.S. is the same as it was 20 years ago. Imagine where that is at next 10, 20 years. So with Bitcoin in the U.S., do you think the financial powers that be will allow full-scale adoption unless they can control it? Because that's the whole thing. They want to control yeah. the economy. They want to control the currency. They want to control us, is uh, my opinion. So yeah. do you think that they will allow Bitcoin to take full reign in the United States? Oh, they have. It's done. Trade's done. It's over. They have been um, embracing it with discourse and regulation. Juxtapose that with China, completely ban it. So here's the narrative I want you and our listeners to, to understand is imagine the animosity from 1.4 billion people when you're not allowed to be involved, the best performing asset in the history of mankind, and when the rest of the world is adopting it. Oh, no, you can't use the internet. No, you can't use a cell phone. Sorry, you're becoming North Korea. That's what's happened. I'm kind of shocked that China made the biggest mistake, I think, in the history of the Chinese Commodities Party. And then when you're U.S., okay, fine, we'll just accept it. But the key thing is, it's all positive for us. Organically, on a global scale, the, we, the whole world went to crypto dollars. Stable coins, 95% of those, was no, nothing pushing them. The world decided we want dollars. They didn't go to the yuan. They didn't go to the yen. They didn't go to the euro. They went to the dollar. So we already have digital currencies. It's, it's, it's crypto dollars. There's almost 130 billion um, AUM. It's up, it's up 10x from last year. Next year, I think it's going to be another 10x. The U.S. might squash it. But as Churchill says, the U.S. will, you know, exhaust, will do the right thing after they exhaust all possible um, options. And I fully expect we're going to do it. But now that it's, it's just a matter of time. And um, the latest we've heard from the White House is very positive. So proper regulation of crypto dollars. We've already moved in to accept the ETFs in, in Bitcoin, Ethereum exist and in the rest of the world. And here's a key thing why the U.S. has to now. Um, money is leaving the country. ETFs that track the physical work in Europe and New York, Canada, and money is leaving this country, and the U.S. is looking like a third world country unless we don't catch up. Gensler gets that. I think he understands. I like to use the analogy from our regulators, and I'll end with this. When you look what something's happening, you see a history making, do you want to be looked back upon as Alexander Hamilton, the person who really established our financial system, or Aaron Burr, the guy who killed him? And to me, that's the decision they're making right now. And I fully expect everything's trickled down that we're all going to do the right thing and regulate properly and properly, which means this is not good for commodities. It's strength for the dollar. It's gold being replaced by Bitcoin, but it's really good for the dollar. I mean, the U.S. is still the you know the global reserve 
currency and actually gaining dominance through cryptos. Mike, uh, listeners want to follow you more closely on a day-to-day basis. What's the best way to do that? I'm on LinkedIn. That's the easiest. Link in with me. Happy to do that. Happy to put on my distribution list. I'm on Twitter too. You can get my tweets, but I just don't have the time to respond. I, I do respond once in a while on LinkedIn. Okay. Well, I will put both of those links to Twitter, Mike's Twitter and his LinkedIn in the show notes. Mike, really appreciate you coming on the show, sharing your insights and covering so many topics with me today. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.